0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Adam Spencer, he's the EVP for Montage Gold. They are a Côte d'Ivoire Gold Explorer listed on the TSXV. Uh, he talks to us through their rather rapid ascent listed in October to deliver a feasibility study by the end of this year. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the company, its plans, uh, what it's going to be doing with its cash, you can get that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis, which you might find useful. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities which you'll definitely find interesting, and there are summaries of interviews that we've done uh, to save you some time. There are training courses to help you with your own diligence process. And most importantly, there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from trolling and abuse. If that sounds nice to you and it does to me, go and join them at cruxinvestor.com. club. Adam, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. How are you?
0: Pretty good, pretty good. Um, looking forward to this one. We, we you know, I'd better let people know. We spoke with your partner Hugh back in. Yes. going to go November 2019 when you were a private company. Um, you're now a public company. So looking forward to seeing how you get on. But first oh, of all, wh- Where are you? Whereabouts in the world are
1: you? I am in. I am in my kitchen uh, in my home in Toronto. Enjoying enjoying what I hope is the last few days of the lockdown that we've been under for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you the only one actually left in the city? <laughs> no, there are many people left in the city here. Uh, thankfully, my kids have gone back to school uh, as of earlier this week, so things are a little more quiet at home. Yeah, yeah. We're, 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 my wife and I are counting down the days
0: until our children are allowed back at school. In the, in the meantime. We're all living together in, in harmony, he said with tongue-in-cheek. Um, that's what you have to say. That's <laughs> obliged, contractually obliged to say. Hey, like Adam, um, why don't you kick off and give us that 1-minute overview of the company and I'll pick it up with some questions, so see where you guys have got to.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. So, so what Montage is, we are a newly public company. We are focused on Cote d'Ivoire. We are a Gold exploration company, well-backed with a strong shareholder register. Uh, Significant cash balance after a very robust IPO. And we are de-risking our flagship property, which is the Mirando Gold Project. It sits at around 3.2 million ounces of gold today. And that's after only 40,000 meters of drilling. So it is still a very early story, but in many other ways, very advanced. And because of that, we're able to fast track it through a PEA, which is planned for April this year and uh, ultimately a feasibility study. If everything goes according to schedule uh, by the end of this year, and, and, you know, as well as kind of advancing permitting milestones. So we have lots ahead of ourselves, but we have the team that has done it before in West Africa. It's the former Redback team. Um, and so we're set up, we're set up with the money, with the shareholders, with the asset, with the experience, and that's kind of montage in a nutshell.
0: Right. Okay. I'm keen to help people decode some of that because I hear that story a lot, especially West African Gold, lots of them, right? Um, We better start with um, understanding a little bit about why you're different. Okay. So when I spoke to you, you guys were private. Why did you start off going down the private route instead of just going public straight away?
1: Yeah. I mean, it it speaks to the kind of approach and philosophy of, you know the management team, and that's really starts with Hugh Stewart, our CEO, uh, and Rick Clark, our chairman. You know their approach has always been to take um, you know exploration a couple steps further than you normally see um, to try to de-risk a project before you spend a lot of money on it. And you know that sounds relatively simple, but I think the impact of that is is significant. And in the case of Mirondo, um, you know the 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 deposit is called Kone. <clears throat> and while the company was still private, and even even before um, you know several years ago, before they did the resource drill out to see if this was going to be you know an ore body of size, they did some very early diamond core drilling to do metallurgical test work. And you know, so often you see junior companies come to market even prior to thinking about metallurgical test work, um, but because they knew that this was going to be a lower grade ore body. You know, the Met has to work in order for this to be a viable project going forward. And so that was, you know, one of the steps that was taken even before they did any real significant drilling on it to define a resource. And so that was, you know, the first kind of indicator of that strategy. And so, you know, that was obviously positive. They did the initial drill out, they defined a 1.2 million ounce resource. And at that stage, they look at it and say, okay, well, this is a call it one gram ore body of 1.2 million ounces. Is that enough? Is that big enough? Is that going to be economic enough? And so they ran, uh, you know, an early stage PEA internally. And what they learned from that was that look, it needs to be bigger. And so at that stage, the approach was well, let's not push this out into the public markets on a standalone basis. Let's do the next phase of work to see if it can get bigger. And what that involved was while we were private. We did some more deep drilling to test depth extension of mineralization. And that gave us the confidence that, look, this is probably going to be a 3 million ounce or larger ore body. And based on the prior kind of very early economic work that had been done, that was the threshold of which, you know, we had confidence that this can be an economic project. And that was the kind of catalyst to decide to take it public. So it wasn't until we had a good sense. That this was going to be something that would work, that we decided to take it public.
0: Right. Okay. That's really interesting because that's very rare. I mean, I can count on one hand how many companies, mining companies, have done that that I've interviewed. Um, where'd the money come from to do all of that?
1: Yeah. So, so if I take a step back several years ago, um, you know, so these assets were once held by uh, Redback Mining, they were staked by Redback Mining. And then Redback was bought by Ken Ross. This is, this is 2010. Kinross Ross did none of their work, the homework on the properties. Hugh, um, through different vehicles following the Redback exit, has done all the work on this over a 10-plus-year period. Um, you know, The first round of significant work was done after these assets were bought by Orca Gold, which as you know, Orca is focused on Sudan. They bought this portfolio they were at that time, this would have been 2017, 2018. That's when they did the early met test work. So that, you know, a small portion of the capital spent on this would have been capital that had been raised by Orca. Uh, but then once Montage was spun out into its own vehicle, we raised $8 million privately. And that came from really us, you know, insiders, directors, friends and family, um, you know, Lucas Lundin and, and just people that have been in kind of the Lundin, Redback Network for years, and so we started off very strong with a total $12 million in cash when we first created the company in August of 2019, and that gave us you know, more than enough money to spend to kind of test the depth extension of the mineralization and set us up to take the public.
0: Right. Okay. So, well, Lucas Lundt, I mean, that's an interesting name to throw in there from from the get go. Um, you've done 40,000 meters, you say, or this 40,000 meter
1: of data. You no, know, it's 40,000 meters of total drilling that has been done on the Kone deposit for its entire life. That's that's it. And you know, it's notable that Kone itself was the very first anomaly that was ever discovered on this land package, and it's the only one that's received any you know significant exploration work. So, in one sense, it is an advanced deposit in terms of its size, but the exploration story is still very early stage. We think about the project as a whole.
0: Okay, let, let's and I do want to get onto the asset itself. I really do. But um, sure. talk me through the rest of the team's experience. I get, I get the you know red back, um, Orca connection. But wh- who, sure. who does what? Who's important to for us to recognize?
1: Yeah. So Hugh Stewart, as a CEO, he is kind of the the face of the company. He is the you know the, the geologist that finds gold deposits. In his career in Africa, he to his credit he's discovered 35 million ounces of gold which certainly puts him at uh, near the top of the list in terms of exploration geologists and gold um, and so he's you know his approach to exploration i think is very novel he's not your typical geologist that just wants to find gold in the ground he's always thinking about i want to find a mine and you know the way he describes it is that it's actually pretty easy to find gold it's you know significantly more difficult to turn a gold discovery into a gold mine. And if you look at his track record of the 35 million ounces that he's discovered, 30 million of those ounces represent operations that are now in production. And the remaining 5 million, it's actually more than five if I think about it, represents Block 14 in, in Sudan, which is a grassroots discovery of Hughes, and the Mirundo Gold Project within Montage, which was a grassroots discovery of his. So, I think that is you know, something that people should really take notice of: is that this guy is serious. He's a very humble guy. Um, you know, he's, he, he never really talks about his track record. I'm the one that does that, um, but it, he delivers. And so he's, he's critical. And then you know, in the background we have Kevin Ross, who is the who is a director of Montage. He is the chief operating officer of Work of Gold, and he was the chief operating officer of Redback Mining. And so, you know, his his career spans decades. He's taken numerous um, gold deposits from, you know, exploration stage through economic studies, through construction, through operation, expansion. He's done everything from, from start to finish there. And so, the, the tandem of Hugh, and and Kevin is is very significant. And then, of course, we have Rick Clark as our chairman, and Rick was the CEO of um, of Redback Mining. He is the CEO of Orca Gold, and he's an expert in Capital raising, um, you know, promotion of, of of mining projects, dealing with government negotiations, um, you know, he's kind of been the guy that has brought kind of all the pieces together um, for for this group of individuals, and you know, has had tremendous success in doing so.
0: Okay, what about you?
1: <laughs> yeah, so so my background is mining capital markets, and so you know what I bring, I think, is is a similar you know background. To, you know what Rick has been doing with Kevin and, and, and Hugh uh, for the last you know 15 or 20 years um, but from just a different perspective and, and you know I guess you know different pedigree uh, to put it uh, in, in a different way so my my background was mining investment banking for the first half of my career um, you know focused on financing junior and mid-tier mining companies across really all all commodities um, but with a focus on gold, and then for the last seven or so years, I led up the corporate development activities for Sandstorm Gold Royalties, and so again focused on highly structured finance to, you know, essentially provide construction capital for, for significant gold projects. And so with that experience and background, I think it's a, it's a good complement to you know what Hugh and Kevin do, and certainly what Rick has been doing uh, throughout his career. And so I'm kind of brought in here to work. Work more closely with Hugh on the day to day stuff. You know, Rick's our chairman. He's not um, involved in the day to day kind of corporate, you know, level um, activities of the company. Um, he does what he does very well, but I'm there to kind of handle kind of the nitty gritty day to day corporate. Kind of govern's on of my ties with you. Okay, excellent. Thanks for
0: that. Let me let me ask you about um, jurisdiction. Okay, that's really really important. You know, West Africa has so been a sort mixed bag uh, of, of events. We've had we've had COVID. We've had terrorist incursions across some countries uh, across West Africa. You know, North American investors are slightly nervous about investing mm-hmm. there. Right. So, you're in Cote d'Ivoire how uh, to well again I think politically it's, it's been sort of had a checkered past, settled down recently. How are you finding doing business in country? Are, are there obstacles? Are they trying to be helpful? What's happening?
1: Yeah, I would say you know despite you know the headlines that come out of the country and certainly headline risk is something that we think about, it has been business as usual for us in country. With obviously some necessary adjustments to how we go about day-to-day activities to address COVID-19. Um, you know, when COVID-19 first took hold in the country, you know, we did have to temporarily suspend operations, which I, I believe most of our counterparts in country had to do. And once things settled down, we got back into the project, and you know, we've instituted you know company-wide policies for all all various things to try to combat the spread of it. Um, and in our immediate Project area, there are no reported cases of COVID. Now, obviously, that can change. All we can do is c- control, you know, the safeguards that we put in place, and so that's more of a logistics and kind of timing exercise. Uh, you know, we've had no trouble getting drill rigs to site. We presently have six rigs. Um, for the prior drill program, we had up to seven at, at at points in time. I think we'll probably add another rig to this program where we where we're currently at. Um, and you know, working with the government has been very straightforward. I mean, nothing's really changed. Um, you know, as you mentioned, there's been some political, you know, I'd say political risk, obviously. I mean, that, that just goes with investing in, in Africa in general. Uh, but we did just come through an election cycle. There was a presidential election at the end of October. And look, I mean, going into that, everyone was nervous what was going to happen. You had a two term president going for re-election, uh, which sparked a lot of controversy. Now you had an opposition, Kind of group groups of opposition that were relatively fragmented and couldn't form a solid opposition to run against the uh, incumbent, and you know the the net result was a landslide victory, which was ultimately uh, opposed and boycotted by the opposition. But you know, as time has gone on in the months since the election, everything's you know, effectively settled down and gone back to normal, and, and it's business as usual for us. So you know, we're we're happy that that's behind us. You know, is it was a risk that we saw in terms of you know, the, the raising capital, you know, our IPO was timed to be a few weeks prior to that event. And I think we were very fortunate with the way things played out, you know, to get the IPO done, but also more so to have a relatively stable um, continuation of power for the existing president. So,
0: I mean, talk to me about that because you, your IPO was in October and that, you know, the raise yes. happened at the height of this bull run that we're on for gold. In you timed it well because I think if you were having the conversation in January, February, it might have been different, right? Not because of the election, but because of the pricing in the marketplace. So that was fortuitous. So was it just a case of people just throwing money at any gold project? I mean, what were they? What were people buying into? What were the funds buying into?
1: Well, in our case, I think you know they were buying into you know some to a certain degree household names. Right, like you know, the, the vast majority of the share register that we brought in on the IPO were, you know, people that had invested and made a lot of money in the Redback story and were very familiar with Orca and just knew Rick and Hugh and you know what they've done and, and you know where they've been successful in the past. So that um, that was what they were buying into. Now you're absolutely right. The timing, I think, couldn't have been better from a market perspective. You know, we knew we were in a strong window for gold financings. We were seeing gold deals go up. Uh, every day of the week and and you know when you've been through market cycles as much as you know I have and, and, and the rest of us have you know that these windows can close very quickly and it doesn't take much for investor sentiment to change and you know we were facing obviously the US election coming up very shortly in that period you know after the after the planned IPO and obviously the Côte d'Ivoire election so we were very focused on making sure that we had you know, funds in the door uh, prior to those events occurring, and you know we, we we made sure that that would happen, and it was very successful.
0: Yeah, absolutely um, perfect timing. Um, at 90 million market cap. I mean, the, by the way, the, the share register is it's quite tight. It's really tight. It's nice and clean. Yes. Um, at 90 million market cap with a 3.2 million ounce inferred
1: resource. Do you think you're fully valued? No, I I think we are. I mean, if you look at us as compared to others in the space, we're actually trading at probably the lowest dollar per ounce of resource in the ground. And, you know, I think that that is, you know, there's a few reasons for that. One, we're a relatively new story. You know, we've got great shareholders uh, that bought into the IPO, but it's been, I'd say, difficult given the market conditions to generate, you know, additional institutional buying in the market. And that's not something that is uh, unique to us. If you look at the junior you know, side of the you know, gold market right now, the market conditions are very soft. And you have to be, you know, you have to position yourself to be able to stomach those situations for extended periods of time. And, and you know, that's another reason why we raised as much money as we did. We really raised, you know, probably 30% more capital than we had budgeted for just to give us flexibility to deal with situations like this right where you have softer markets
0: yeah well t- turns out it's wise wise move indeed um, let's talk about what you're going to do with that money because we've had lots of questions mm-hmm. sent in and people are asking about timing and an approach um, and where you think the, the short-term value lies versus how you t- intend to plan this out you talk about being mind builders right so mm-hmm. t- t- talk, talk me through you know how you're going to allocate this cash.
1: Yeah, sure. So, maybe I'll take a step back to the kind of programs that we laid out at the IPO because, you know, nothing's changed from those, from those programs and we've just been delivering on them. So, at the outset, what we said we would do would be a total of 50,000 metres of drilling or perhaps more um, in two phases. The first being 20,000 metres to grow the resource. The second, uh, 30,000 plus metres would be to upgrade the resource from inferred to indicated and so as far as resource kind of related work you know that that's you know one element of of the programs the second element would be the economic studies and the first one being the PEA that will come out in April this year and it's worth noting that because you know a couple of years ago there was a true kind of PEA that was done internally by Orca we've been able to advance the test work and studies from that so Internally, the, the study that we're going to be releasing will actually be conducted to a pre-feasibility standard. But because the resource off which it will be based will be inferred at the time, it will be called a PEA. And that's, and that's key because, you know, we plan to go straight to feasibility after this PEA. And it's only possible because, you know, the studies and test work within the PEA are actually PFS standard. And because we will be upgrading the existing 3.2 million ounce inferred resource to indicated, we can then calculate a reserve off an indicated resource. So that's um, why we can fast track this project. where we're sitting right now is that we've completed the initial 20,000 meters of drilling. That took the strike length of mineralization of the deposit up to 2.4 kilometers, um, up to 450 meters wide at surface. That allowed us to recalculate the resource. We went from 1.5 million ounces to 3.2 million ounces. So we delivered on the objective that we had set for ourselves. And we've been executing on the studies and test work uh, for the PEA. And I'd say the PEA is probably around two thirds complete at this stage. We have been releasing results of studies as they have been completed. Uh, We had a very positive geotechnical study results which allows us to steepen the pit walls of the deposit which will lead to a lower strip ratio um, you know we're nearing the end of the metallurgical test program it's showing us that the rock is soft from a grinding perspective so lower process cost it's um, looking at the recovery is going to be be uh, quite reasonable uh, so obviously that has a major impact on your economics so things are you know things are going well we're executing on the plans that we set out for ourselves and you know based on the objective to have a feasibility study completed by the end of this year we should still have you know you know probably somewhere between 8 to 10 million dollars in excess cash left over uh, upon completion of the feasibility study so we'll still be in a great position
0: financially right and, and do you think you i mean you're going to have to do a job and be clearly communicating why you're skipping a stage because people will look at oh they're fast tracking it they're going to you know yeah shortcut short the process therefore that will cause problems down the line so that's that's going to have to be a big thing that you're going to spend a lot of time explaining the way you've explained it is, is it makes sense
1: but yeah it, i mean to us like we we think the story is is quite simple but it does require i think in some cases lengthy explanation but once you once you get your head wrapped around you know the attributes of the deposit and the project itself i think it does you know you know the audience tends to kind of draw the conclusion that look, this is a pretty simple project, um, and, and you know we are, you know in my mind we're in a bit of a, a bit of a vacuum in terms of you know the information we can put out there. I mean it's not until you have a PEA published that you can actually say hey look, you know here here are the results of what we've been working on, you know with some with some numbers on 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 paper that are backed up by you know sound engineering and test work that demonstrates that this ore body. Can be quite economic, and it's not until we publish the PEA that we can really say that, right? We can try to, you know, show the incremental steps that we're taking to get there. Whether it's doubling the resource to three million ounces, showing that we can steepen the pit walls, all of those things—they all have input, they all have an impact on the economics. But it's not until you finally publish something that you can really say. This is what we told you to expect and we're delivering on.
0: Right. I mean, it's good it's stuff. PA plus or minus 30% on the economics, but it's the feasibility that people will be looking to sure. to get a sense of what it is that you're creating. I mean, and, and what's the reality of this? I know you talk the language like everyone does. Oh, we're, we're building this thing to be a mine. OK. It's looking at the amount of activity, the amount of MA activity, Chinese companies looking, scouring. West Africa for acquisitions. I mean, the easy win for you is just to keep building out that resource. Is that what you're going to do with your eight million spare cash?
1: You know, there's a number of things that we will do with it. I think, um, you know, first and foremost, we we are operating on the assumption that we're going to continue to advance this project, and if that, you know, means financing it and building it, then that's what we'll do, and we have all the team in place to do that. Um, I think what will, you know. Other ways that we can demonstrate value beyond just de-risking, you know, a single deposit and, 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 you know, a project based on it, on it is to explore, you know, the broader land package. And, and so certainly, you know, with the excess cash that we have, we have a lot of flexibility to, to ramp up exploration activities. In total, the project land package is around 1,400 square kilometers. Now, let's say 300 square kilometers of that is a license; the rest are applications. But because we are so well funded and we're being so aggressive with the project, um, I expect that we will get those applications granted as licenses. Um, you know we're pushing very hard for that. And we know of anomalism within that ground. It would be truckable to a mill situated at Kone. And so that's kind of the blue sky potential that we intend to develop. And again, you know we're fully funded to explore within the land package. And I think once we have that ground granted, we can start to show people that look, you have a standalone, robust operation based off the 3.2 million ounce Kone deposit, but that's just the start. There's a number of satellite exploration opportunities that uh, would be truckable to supplement feed into a mill, uh, potentially at higher grades, and, and that's that's another key aspect of the strategy that we'll we'll be pursuing.
0: Right, but at the same at the same time, you could, Rick, Rick locks that. You know, so he's he's got an agenda. He's got his day job, but he's also sitting here Mm -hmm. helping you guys. So, are there conversations about what could be further down the line in terms of two companies coming together?
1: Well, I mean, Montage was born from a spin out of Orca, and so Orca retained their interest in Montage, you know, as consideration for spinning the assets out. So, you know. I can't uh, I, I can't dismiss any potential possibilities down the road, but certainly the, the the reason for the reason for separating the companies was so that Orca could finance and advance Block 14 in Sudan without there being any dilution to their shareholders associated with financing and advancing assets in Cote d'Ivoire. So to see them come back together would be I think a bit of a surprise me but look I, I can't I can't dismiss the dismiss the concept. Okay. Um, I think what's more what's more than more likely here is that as the project gets advanced, if there is, you know, significant um you know significant valuation re rating in the market, if there is interest from you know potential acquirers to take us over, I think the first place you go is you talk to Orca because they own thirty percent of the company, right? Any any kind of MA activity would really start and end there. Given how concentrated the shareholder base is, and how significant Orca's ownership is,
0: and, and how are Orca for cash, I mean, would they consider selling or offloading what they what they own?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably a question better asked to Rick or Hugh. Hugh's also the president of Orca. I'm not, you know, directly involved with with Orca. Um, but I, you know, from what my understanding is, is that you know, at these valuation levels, it's not something that they would see. As making sense to monetize to generate cash. Now, if there's a significant re-rating, you know, could you revisit that assumption? Sure, but I'd say at these levels, I, I don't see that happening.
0: Right. Okay. And do you think the market is appreciative of, you know, these low-grade bulk companies like yourself? Your, was your average grade is what 0.8 was below one gram per ton, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd say they they, they, they do. They're not as appreciated. I think they. Tend to be, or they, have, you know, it's possible that they get dismissed. I think it's, it's, you know, one of those things where you don't get the benefit of the doubt, you know, quite as much as you do if you have, you know, higher grades. And, you know, I, I can understand that. Everyone says grade is king. Um, and, you know, that's not false. It's, um, you know, by no means would we say no to having higher grades. <laughs> like, absolutely, we'd love to have higher grades. You know, I, I think the satellite pit exploration strategy will certainly be to bring in supplemental feed at higher grades. but even beyond that, you know there are so many other factors that make a project work and there are a lot of higher grade projects that don't work right You could have three grams per ton in a resource but if it's refractory it's not going to work or it's very likely that it won't work. Um, it could have you know a 15 to one strip ratio and again you know that may not you know it may not permit it to be to be feasible. So for us, where where I think we will come out um, positive is that you know yes, it is a lower grade ore body. The average grade is right around 0.8 right now, uh, but it does have a higher grade component. Um, so of the 3.2 million ounces at 0.8 grams, there is around 2 million ounces that sits at 1.1 grams. And what that enables us to do is to mine the ore body at an elevated rate, stockpile lower grade. But process higher grades closer to call it 0.9 to 1 or even 1.1 grams for the first call it five to seven years of the project life. And that has a major impact on the economics. And so since you, you know, mine out the ore body over a shorter period of time, the lower grades that you're stockpiling, they've already been mined, you're just processing them at the end of life. And so the economics can work quite well doing that. The other things that um, are working in our favor at as I said before, you know, the the, the pit walls um, of the of the open pit can be, you know, probably up to upwards of 55 degrees, both hanging wall and foot wall. And that allows us to have a strip ratio that's going to be closer to one to one. Whereas, you know, a lot of if you look at most open pit projects in West Africa, their strip ratios are, you know, five to one or higher. It really varies. Um, so that's another thing that's working for us and then you know as i said before the you know the metallurgical test work has come back showing that from a comminution perspective the rock is relatively soft which means lower power consumption to grind um, low reagent consumption low cyanide low lime and so those are all major inputs into your process costs and again you know with low process costs with a large scale operation with the low strip ratio it just drives the pit lower and or deeper and so you know it's very likely that this resource itself could grow even further beyond 3.2 million ounces. So, all of these factors are interrelated. Um, you know, we're fortunate to have a lot of of these factors working for us, and you know, the net result we think should be a very robust project.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it, it, I think people don't necessarily appreciate some of the things that you, you've said. Yeah. And again, it's another message that needs to get out there. I think you know, I think some companies have come on and told us this story. They're a bit nervous that people don't. They, don't, they, they, they like the big eye-catching headlines and they don't understand the process, but there are some wonderful case studies, equinoxes of this world, which I think people should be looking um, to. Can we just talk about uh, just a couple of the the, the projects? I'm, I'm about to butcher their names. So There's Barboso Kaha.
1: Korakaha in yeah. so you I got, you got right.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how <laughs> how are you coming? How are you approaching this? Because that was a question sort of sent in in terms of again sure. uh, emphasis on each.
1: Yeah. So I'll start with Korakaha. So we have the Korakaha North and Korakaha South exploration licenses, and then there's the Diawala application, which is just to the north there. And so we've been doing early exploration work there. Um, the Coricaha North license has an eight kilometer strike length soil anomaly. We call it Badenu. And so we've been doing some infill soils on that. It's getting to the stage now where we'll likely do some drilling uh, on it to see what's there. Um, Most recently, we had the Korakaha South license granted to us, and we've gone in to do some initial soil work on that. We've identified some anomalies there, so there's follow up work to be done. But I mean, just just by the nature of where these, you know, the level of work that's been done there, it's certainly not to the same level of priority as the Morando Gold Project is for us. Uh, but you know, at the same time, you have these exploration licenses for a fixed time frame, and you have to work them. So we will get in there. We'll do additional work. We'll see if we can develop some good drill targets on that initial soil anomaly in Corcana North. And you know, what's interesting about that. Is that it sits within 15 kilometers of the Tongan Mill, which is a barrack operation. And uh, that's an operation that's getting down to its last two or three years of reserves. And they've been talking about trying to extend the mine life there. So, you know, if we're able to demonstrate that there's some interesting drill targets here with some potential, given its proximity to the Tongan Mine, I think that's, uh, you know, an asset that starts to have some strategic significance and importance for us. And so we will advance that and see how that comes together. And then Babasso, which you mentioned, so that sits kind of more on the eastern side of the country. It sits on the southern extension of the Hyundai Belt. And the Hyundai Belt, if you're familiar with Burkina Faso, hosts a number of producing operations. And it's quite a prolific gold region. So, you know, same belt of rocks extends down into Cote d'Ivoire. We have essentially the first available land package um, just south of a protected forest reserve. And that's ground that uh, was worked on by a private company called App on Minerals, which is, I was running that company and that's, we merged that entity into Montage. And, um, you know, there's some very interesting, shallow, higher grade intercepts there, you know, two and a half to three grams per ton. It's a lot more structurally complex. There's a lot more work to be done there to really better understand it. And hence, it's going to cost kind of more to do that. And so that's, you know, in terms of level of importance, that would be kind of more so you know on the back burner for, for us. You know, I think given the, the market environment, um, you know, for juniors and the appetite for exploration in Cote d'Ivoire, there's an opportunity for us to potentially um, sell that project off. You know, spin it out into a new vehicle with management team, things like that. But um, yeah, it's not something that's going to distract us from capital allocation to Morundo.
0: Okay, fantastic. Adam, really appreciate that catch up. Um, obviously, things have progressed significantly since when we spoke with um, with uh, Hugh. Uh, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Looks like uh, you've got a busy few months ahead of you.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. You know, just to summarize, kind of where we're going, where we started, and you know how we're going to get there. So, you know, we IPO'd in October. We raised thirty five million dollars, and we set the expectation for ourselves that by the end of twenty twenty one. We will have a feasibility study completed on this project. It's certainly an aggressive timeline, uh, but it's one that, based on our track record, the people involved, you know, we're confident that we can deliver on that. And, you know, as as far as what we've done so far, we've done an initial 20,000 meters of drilling. We've doubled the resource to over three million ounces. We're now doing a, the follow-on 35,000 meter drill program, which will have results coming out uh, from that, you know, relatively you know, regular intervals. We are pressing forward with the PEA, which is, you know, effectively a PFS that should be released, call it mid-April. And it's because of the, you know, the advanced nature of, of the study that allows us to fast track to feasibility. So we're not cutting corners anywhere. Um, we're just, you know, advancing a project and, and that's, you know, was significantly de-risked even prior to taking it public. And you know, as we spoke about earlier, just the approach that we take allows us to advance a project I think a lot faster than you would you know, normally see a junior do. And, and I think we're quite set up well for that.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so
1: please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.